Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Tremendous courage from today's guest, Holly Ugarte. Just a word of warning, she does mention how she experienced sexual assault when she was uh, a youngster. Um, so if that's something that might trigger you, then I'll just know that that's, that will come up. And then she talks about how that impacted her life and and the different challenges she had in relationships in a marriage that was extremely controlling and and also at the same time experiencing a similar sort of control from the church environment that she was in. So this is a big one about the ability to come back from all of these different moments in life and be able to come out the other side, find a beautiful relationship where she's in love and enjoying life, found purpose and being able to give back to the world. Really inspiring and, like I said, extremely courageous chat with Holly Ugarte. Enjoy. Hey, everyone, and welcome and hello to my guest this week, week. Holly Ugarte. Holly, how are you? Good, thank you. Good. Now, first time for me, I had your husband on a few weeks back, and uh, so the first time I've had a couple on to tell their stories, which is awesome. So well done. You're a first for that. Ian said that your story would be a great one to share, so I'm looking forward to unpacking it today. And we just had a bit of a talk before we came on about a number of different big occasions, but you said you before we get to that, you said you've always been someone who questioned what life was about. And for me, that, that's been me my whole life as well, the, the things that didn't make sense, the um, maybe some of those things that are like uh, almost supernatural or just anything that was out of the ordinary, just trying to make sense of it all. So tell me a little bit about how that unfolded for you as a youngster. Um, it's interest. It's an interesting question, really, because it's not something that I've necessarily known until now. Um, a lot of what it actually meant for me as a youngster, if that makes sense. Because when you're growing up, you kind of just think that things are as they are and normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of things that happen, or that I recall, that make me think, oh, you know what that. There was some anxiety, a lot of anxiety actually there um, growing up and not really understanding why I felt the way I felt about certain things. Um, but yeah, I was never, I was never a great sleeper, always had trouble drifting off to sleep. Um, 
often would be tired, but very active. Um, and quite a quiet, well, I would think I was quite shy, like quite quiet um, mm. growing up. Um, but yeah, just like thinking back now, I think I always, I always just wanted to be accepted. I always just wanted to be um, loved, I guess. And that's not saying that I wasn't loved, but obviously I wasn't experiencing the kind of love that I needed to feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So in my, I guess in my um, searching for that, I was, um, I was brought up Catholic. um, So God was always a big thing, I guess, in my life. Um, And then as I grew up, I sort of started to find my own journey um, and became more Christian not um, not necessarily a practicing Christian, but just Christian in the belief that, you know, I believed that there was a God and I didn't understand things. Um, always felt like there must be a purpose or a greater purpose, but had no idea how that, um, you know, how that shaped my life or what that meant for my life. Um, but definitely struggled heaps with, um, taking on, I guess, feelings or em- em- empathy, like taking on other people's um, grief, um, other people's struggles, and not knowing how to acknowledge them, but leave it with them. Mm. Yeah. That I can relate to so much of that. Like I was the shy kid that really needed to be included and uh, I again looking back for me as well I, I know I did a lot of observing human behavior and what yeah. works and what doesn't and who who needed to be left alone who needed to be included all those different things uh, I think that those early days definitely shaped so much of how we behave then going forward don't they absolutely yeah and I was I was a twin I was one of twins as well so I've got a twin brother so it's not like I was alone <laughs> You know, I wasn't an only child. I did, I did have those um, connections and those relationships, but for some reason, it didn't. It wasn't enough for me, so I'm not sure why or where that came from. My mum always says that, you know, like my brother was the perfect baby, happy and smiley, and he would be the one that everyone would want to look after. My mum was a was a single mum, so he would go and stay with you know friends and this is when we were little little um but no one wanted to look after me because i'd just scream so right from day dot that was you know i didn't want to be alone i didn't want to be apart from the people that i obviously was attached to um mum had quite severe um postnatal depression so she probably wasn't um wasn't as available perhaps and maybe i picked up on that as a as a kid and that maybe that started some of the that anxiety i don't know yeah i i am a big believer in that absolutely 
and I love how you describe that. You basically make sure you got attention by uh, being being noisy. And I think if I look back to my childhood, that would have been the case. And then continued at different moments in my life as well. Um, yeah, I, I know that for the empaths, we're doing that work from day dot, like even in the womb, we're absorbing other people's stuff. So if your mum was going through a whole lot of difficult stuff, then yeah, like there's probably part of you instinctively knew that you had to be with her and and helping her and providing that that space for her. Um, and it's great to hear you've got that awareness around it too. So you said that that the real like you've had a number of moments there, but one in particular that really hit home for you and the start of things changing having a quite a negative impact was your daughter when she was five her her best friend getting quite sick yeah so i i was i've been i was married at the time obviously i had four children um with my then husband we'd been married for 15 years we'd been um actively involved he's a christian and and very um I don't even know how to explain it, but very like Pentecostal type Christian, very like into um, living that lifestyle. Um, So quite strict around some things. And I, we'd moved from Christchurch where when I'd first got pregnant with my first, my eldest daughter, and we'd gone to Nelson where his family was, and I didn't know anyone. and so the support network that I had was his parents and the the relationships that I had within the church that we went to. And obviously there was the school drop-offs and the kindy and things like that. So there was a few, but a lot of, Nelson's quite small, so a lot of um, those crossed, if, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And my, my daughter, Shakina, she's, like I would probably describe her now as much like maybe similar to my mum and some similar similarities to myself in certain aspects of her personality. But she's a very caring, um, loving person. Um, I guess the difference is she's got the confidence that I didn't have growing up. Um, but going through those t- that time I think was probably very difficult for her and has raised some some things for her as well um so she was only maybe five at the time and she'd gone through kindergarten um with this girl and they'd been tied at the hip and obviously her mum was um great as well she had four kids as well they went to church so we had all these things in common um, one day, Deanna fell over at school and, um, and hurt her leg. And so they called the ambulance and go off to hospital and did an X-ray and found that she had bone cancer or osteosarcoma. So if you look that up, it's, it's quite serious. And, um, yeah, that was – she just texted me that night and was like, Deanna's got cancer. And the whole, the whole world just kind of changed in that moment. Because mm. I because I didn't know, I was like, what? Like I didn't actually know how to handle the feeling the feelings. And knowing 
just knowing what they might be going through, I guess. Um, so that started a long journey of, of um, supporting them, but also questioning why and how, and and that led to questioning, you know, my own life and what what I wanted to see for my life. Hmm. And yeah. I'm, draw, I'm drawn to what you said before about being the empath and I wonder how much of her pain you took on at that point as well because I imagine for her, the mum, like I can't comprehend how horrific that must have been. Yeah, it felt he- really heavy, really heavy. And I think too, like, I mean, I've, I'd sort of learned a little bit um, by that time um, of how to how to separate to a certain extent, you know, because I used to, I used to get all all um, worked up and anxious and emotional just to, if I'd hear a news story about like starving kids and and mm. or the kids in Syria, for example, in the refugee camps and feel hopeless. So I, I used to be quite impacted by those things, um, but I I also I think now having lived a little bit more life. I am more able to differentiate between, well, I can't, you can't save the world, but, you know, what I can do is do what I can do and the people that I can do that for today in my life. And regardless of that, whether that's a, um, it's going to change the world or not, it's, it's still having an, a positive impact in someone else's life. And so by the time the situation arose, I guess part of me was a little bit um, more. I, I channeled the the grief or the um, the feelings that I was getting. I channeled them more into like, well, what can I do that's actually going to help? Um, and so out of that, I did a um, fun run, which raised almost I think it was about ten thousand in the first couple of weeks just to help support the family wow yeah so just stuff like that and I would never have done that in the past um, I was a personal trainer at the time so I just it was called the a run for Deanna it was called and got all the local business went around the local businesses and got the local business to um, donate you know a prize because we have mm. some we had some great local businesses in Nelson at the time um, like proper crisps, you would have seen them in the supermarket, and Pix peanut butter, like all of those things. So yeah, they all yeah. donated like bags of chips and stuff like that, and it was great. And it actually turned out to be um, really good, and it was a really positive way of um, contributing and helping out the family. Um, and it made me feel like, you know, okay, I can't, I can't take away their grief, and I can't take away what they're going through, but I can do something so how did that impact you then like you, you've you've had this opportunity okay well here's an opportunity for me to go and be able to give back but what was playing out for you if it had such a big impact on you like how was that impacting you day to day for you, you know, for your daughter as a friend um day to day it it became it became 
more about, I think I started to question, like I started the, the question that I asked myself that came out of it was, okay, if I was on my deathbed, um, what do I want? Well, it's similar to what you said, what do I, what do I want to be remembered for? Or what is it that I would be, I would be proud of that I'd done in my life? Um, or would I be proud? Is <laughs> another way of thinking about it. Yeah. And so I, I started like thinking about that and I was like, well, and even in regards to my children, you know, what would I say to them? You know, how would I, what advice would I give them? And I think that with that questioning, I started to then question um, my faith. And yeah. I started I started to have conversations with people outside of um, that group of people. And I began to get, I guess, a different picture of what life could be or sh maybe even should be. Um, and some of the things that were going on in my marriage. Um, yeah, so all of that sort of stuff. But ultimately, I think the driving question for me was, am I going to be proud? What am I going to, you know, what would I say? Mm. And yeah, like I, I bet the people listening to this podcast would have heard me talk about many times before. And I mentioned before we came on, that was the, the catalyst for me too. It was like, what? Well, what would people say? And it's and it's a really powerful motivator of change uh, through those dark times. Now you mentioned that that kind of then started to impact your marriage, um, but you talked there about something before, which I felt like there was probably more to it than that. You you um you were talking about your husband and him being quite strict. Like, how did that impact you? personally like was was when i say strict was it like a um, sort of dated model about a male and female relationship was it like you had to do this like i mean i'm thinking about the the old um sort of generic um words you used to say which was love and obey right yeah yeah and, and it's Sorry, like wives, wives submit to your husbands and all things things like yeah. that yeah um so he's like initially i guess um i was definitely a follower um definitely not like i said confident i met him i met him when i was 18 and and i just kind of went i didn't really know who i was i just kind of went along with how things rolled out i guess hmm. um and then move, making the move, like I said, from Christchurch to Nelson, that it that probably, you know, looking back, everything's good in hindsight, but that was quite an isolating move for me. And I also, I think one of the biggest things for me in the whole relationship was that I thought that I wasn't smart and I thought that he was smart. And so because of my belief system around what I perceived myself. You know, I didn't I didn't finish school, just putting it out there. I didn't go to university. I I finished at the end of sixth form, so I didn't have university entrance and I just went and worked and then before long I I met him and and he just to me he just seemed this confident, 
smart, articulate, perfect person, you know, man to hide behind, really. Um, and I didn't have to worry about it because, you know, he was the face of our, of our relationship and he was, he was charming. And, um, and so because I had this underlying belief that I wasn't smart, um, and I couldn't achieve things, I never, like, I, I never felt like I did well at school. I never felt like I could concentrate on anything. And like I said, looking hindsight's a great thing. You know, obviously I was, I was anxious and my mind was going a hundred miles an hour, probably throughout my whole childhood and, and um, adolescence. And I just, I just didn't have the um, knowledge that, that I, I really probably required all the support because back then it wasn't a known thing to, to be able to do the things that a lot of my peers were doing. I was much better off going out and actually working and keeping busy that way rather than being at school and my mind's going 100 miles an hour and not being able to concentrate and then just feeling worse. So in my mind, my story was, you're not, you know, I'm not smart. Um, I'm never going to be able to do anything. And even though like I toyed with the idea of maybe one day doing this or this, um, in the back of my mind, I'm going, I can't go to university anyway because you know I didn't get university entrance however you can go to university at any time once you turn 21 so but I never did never did got married had kids and so my life was more about at that time being a good wife and being a good mum and whatever my belief system around that came from the bible because that's that's what I was in. That was what I was part of. That's the culture that I had at the time. So when you say with my relationship with Dan, with him, um, he was very much, the church that we attended was very Pentecostal. Um, you know, like if you were struggling with something, um, then you had a demon that needed to be cast out or, you know, whatever. Um mm. And we weren't to like things like the teaching was, and rightly or wrongly, um, we weren't to eat with anyone that was we knew was in sin. So like you know like um, even people that attended the church, if we knew that they were in a relationship with someone and they were, you know, not practicing um, celibacy or whatever, then we weren't to eat with them. We weren't allowed to um, serve if we weren't tithing 10%. So that means we weren't allowed to serve tea and coffee at church on a Sunday after church um, if we weren't tithing 10% of our income. And obviously wives submit to your husbands. So one of the biggest things for me during that time was the belief that um, no matter what I or how I felt, I needed to um, be there to serve him, um, however that might look. So, you know, that means intimacy and all that sort of stuff. So it didn't, how I was feeling about things didn't really matter. Um, yeah, well. So the, the danger 
I think, for me was that prior to to this, prior to moving to Nelson, I had been having counselling for um, for events that happened in my childhood. Um, that if I'd continued having that counselling, some of this probably would have been um, would have come up, and then. Um, maybe it would have been dealt with differently or maybe mm. there would have been some help um, but and, and the counselling was through ACC like it was legit because it, it was um, all covered so it didn't cost anything for me mm. um, but he didn't like me doing the counselling so in the end I stopped doing the counselling um, and it just kind of fell, yeah, fell off the radar. Is that a um, didn't like doing cancelling in case it painted him in a, any sort of light that wasn't uh, fully in line with his Christian faith, that sort of thing? I, or yeah, I think so. I think I think things would have come up, you know, like as soon as someone questioned. Like I did have friends before we, before we were married, and I continued some of those friendships during you know in the first few years of the marriage and they would uh, they would point out things in a way that was quite tactful really they'd just be like oh you know like I don't know if that that's um, necessarily healthy or something like that and of course I would go on and and try and have a discussion with with my husband about it and he would be like oh well that person's not Christian they're of the world and they're deceived and it's not you know, like, I don't want you to be friends with them anymore. Just stuff like that. Mm, so and hiding so, behind hiding behind the faith rather than addressing it. Yeah. And yeah. so eventually it's sort of just, you become, and you become, you don't really know when you're in it. Like, I didn't really know. So I just, yeah, just kind of went along with stuff. Mm. Um, now, you touched on intimacy and then past stuff. Is that a conversation you're okay to have? Yep. Yeah. So was, was there trauma for when you were younger that you were aware of, weren't aware of, that was then having an impact in your um, in that part of your relationship? Um, yes. So um, growing up, um, like I said, my mum was a single mum and my Dad lived in Kaikoura, and we started going to visit him. I don't remember how old we were, but we must have been like five or six. We'd go for Christmas holidays. Um, and there was an incident incident at my dad's um, where he had a, he had a friend staying, um, and the friend like I've got three three half sisters too, but at the time I only had one half sister. She was a year older than me, um, and my brother. So there was three of us. Um, and he he was staying and he'd sleep in our rooms and he would um, take out the light bulbs this is something for everyone to be aware of if this ever happens then you need to be asking questions um, <clears throat> and he'd take out the light bulbs and he just would tell dad that we'd be playing with the light switches when in the reality was that he was um, sexually abusing us and and that was just his cover story, I guess. Um, yeah, wow. So, so that that happened at, at my at my dad's house, 
and that went on for you know a number of weeks and um nobody so my brother or my sister said anything to any adults and eventually eventually I did because because well for other for reasons but um eventually I went and had, had a chat to my step stepmom and then she confirmed it with the other children and um yeah they got the police involved so there was that incident and then a year later um someone actually broke into our house at, this is at my mum's and same thing happened um and I think that that for me that was probably the in, the in, the more defining incident, just because that was um, our community, that was you know my neighbourhood. Everyone knew about it, um, and it was never solved either. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So. So no closure um, on it. No, no, and for my mum. It impacted her hugely as well because she just carries so much guilt around it. Yeah, I bet. Um, yeah, so it impacted our relationship as well, you know. Um, yeah, it had a huge impact. But and I guess aside from all that, it also I didn't have a I didn't have a father figure. So no, I I I don't believe I really understood what a, re a healthy relationship looked like hmm. um, and going into my marriage um, I hadn't really dealt like I'd had I'd had counseling hmm. not a lot of counseling but I hadn't really dealt with I didn't really understand what was going on inside of me so I hadn't really dealt hmm. with it um, and it, it just meant for me I think at the time I felt like I couldn't I couldn't really talk about honestly how I felt because of fear of being judged anyway. Oh, even by the counsellor. Yeah. So like yeah, I carried well. all the stuff, like all the stuff yeah. with me and never really felt like I resolved any of it. Um, and so I just carried it into my marriage. And when it came to intimacy, I didn't really know what was healthy, what was not. I didn't know how to say no. Mm. Um, I didn't know I ended up just learning how to disassociate so it just went you know from bad to worse and then um, so you're like, uh, det detaching from your body sort of uh, yeah. thing and just and just doing and just doing what I needed to do to survive I guess mm. um, that that uh, disassociation did that impact other areas of your life as well? Because that's on that's a hard thing to switch in and out of, right? Yeah. So that um, that did impact a, a, other areas of my life, and I think I spent a lot of time probably in a state of not really um, engaging with what was happening around me, hmm. mostly because I I didn't. I didn't know at the time, like this is all just looking back, like I didn't know at the time necessarily um, why, but it definitely was easier. Like if something was happening that I didn't like or something that I had felt like I had no control um, over or in, 
then it was easier just to go somewhere else hmm. and just go along with with it. Hmm. So, so how do you get from that place to then the marriage unraveling and and you, I, I imagine having the courage to to take whatever steps you took. Yeah, so that's the million dollar question. So, um, so it obviously it took um, something significant to kind of shake me awake, and that was um, I th- I think that that was what happened with dear with my friend and her daughter mm-hmm. because that was like I said that was something that really made me start questioning. Um, things and I then started questioning you know well, what like am I happy um, and what you know what is what is it that I want and would I be proud of how things are and things like that and as soon as I started having these conversations with um, my part my husband at the time um, it became very apparent that he wasn't support going to be supportive of it so for example i think it was around that time that i was like you know what i think i want to be a nurse um and i wanted to look into it and so i started looking into it um and he was like no no you you know if you were going to go to university or polytech or wherever you should have done that after you left school that's when everyone else does it we're not paying to do it now just you know you you don't need to work and if you do then you can just work in a supermarket or and so like it was putting value on me um that I guess yeah it wasn't he didn't I didn't feel like he valued me that much no um, doesn't say yeah and so the more I thought about it the more I was like no you know what I do want to do it I want to do it for my kids I want to do it you know for my girls I want to do it because I, I love caring for people. I'd been volunteering for St. John um, on the ambulance. So I'd got my first responder and I was like, well, I, this is what I love doing. Um, so, so, yeah, so there was an element of, of, of struggling with, this is what I want to do with my life. I've had kids. I've had a family. It's now time for me to do some me. Um, and he didn't want to support that, and I just became more and more empty, I guess, and to the point where I just, yeah, I just knew that it was it was time it was over. Um. So the next part of my journey was actually it was actually leaving, and that was Dude. very. That was difficult. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine from what you've said, did you um, did you confront him or like how did that play out? So, um, I told I told him how I was feeling, and that um, that I was going to leave. We'd had we'd tried to have some counselling around it, but again, like it was, and I, I guess I have to take some responsibility for this with the counselling. It's hard to be honest with you. If you know, um, or if you feel like you're going to be um, judged, or you're not sure of the reaction, so even though we were having counselling, 
a lot of the question around it. Like he would choose the counsellor anyway, so it was always a Christian mm. counsellor. Mm. And so I knew already I had my, you know, um, reservations and I had my defences up. Yeah. And um, a lot of the questions were always like, well, you know, like are you willing to work on it? And, of course, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> when underneath, I probably should have just said no. No, I don't want to work on it. It's over for me. Like, um, so that's probably that was probably my biggest mistake and or regret. Um, I wish I'd just been able to be honest. Um, Easy after the fact, though, right? Yeah, and there's also the element of I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to hurt his feelings. You know, like I don't want to just be like, no, I don't want to be with you anymore. So there's an element of me kind of thinking, well, what? the best way to approach this i'll just do i'll just take the steps that he wants me to take and i'm still going to leave anyway hmm. so in the end i did end up moving out and i moved in with a, like a friend at the time um she was actually a client that i was um, doing pt for and i just moved into her and her husband's spare room um we had a so lot of without the kids even yeah, without the kids. I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, I couldn't. We did have rental properties, and there was um, one that was empty, but then Daniel said that I couldn't live in it because it wasn't for my living. Um, hmm. I know. And and this is how naive I, I was at the time. So I just moved into you know my friend's spare room, meant that I couldn't have the kids overnight, but I could go see them um, at the house and I could stay with them at the house. Our house was on the same block as his parents. So there wasn't that privacy and he would just come down and I'd be cooking dinner and he would just turn up. Like he would just be there and end up staying for dinner. And like, it didn't give me that space that I think I needed to work out what I wanted. Cause at this point in time, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of going through like, oh my gosh, this is a massive, I don't even know if I can survive. Yeah. Um, and then he, he'd been, he was following me, he was following me around. So I was living oh, somewhere wow. else. Yeah. So yeah. He, was, he, he would turn up, I'd go and visit someone and he would turn up. Um, and then he, um, I went to, what you guys would call Centrelink. This is in New Zealand, so it's work and income. So it's yep. similar to government agency to get some help because he he froze the bank accounts, so I couldn't access any funds, um, and they they couldn't help me because we had property, they had property in my name, and because I had property in my name, I was asset. I don't know, like they they couldn't. They couldn't help me, so I couldn't get any kind of benefit or anything to help. So that's another reason why I didn't get a, a house to live in because I couldn't get, hmm. you know, um, I couldn't get the financial support in order to be able to do that. Um, so they couldn't help me. And then and then he took out, it was right before Christmas, his, his dad is a clinic, clinical psychologist for the Ministry of Education in New Zealand and quite high up in in the government body and they took out a parenting order to say that I couldn't have contact with the children 
Wow. Um, yeah. And that that just, I think that just ended up, that was the catalyst really for me in regards to I, I don't know what I am able to do here. Um, and on the that night when I was served with those papers, so the basis of that was he was concerned about what I was going to say to the children. So I bet. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which I would never have said anything anyway, harm, you know, harmful. Um, so the judge never saw me. This is another um, interesting, I guess, part of the process. So the judge never actually saw me before before approving that um, that court order. And usually the judge would see someone if they're taking taking you know taking children away from a parent. Um, just because, yeah, just because this sort of thing happens obviously quite a lot when one parent will go and say, well, I'm concerned about the safety, because there has to be a major con safety concern usually mm. to get one of these orders. Um, and anyway, so I ended up, <laughs> I ended up taking um, an overdose that night and I was admitted to ICU. Um is that because you didn't see any other see way Yeah, I couldn't see. I couldn't see a way out. Um, wow! And um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any family. All of the support network was um, church, and they'd all kind of just said, "No, you've left Dan. You know, don't want to have a bar of you." Oh wow! Really? So this is one of the things I growing up in the church as well is how much hypocrisy there is around like love looking after people service and yet but if you fall outside the jurisdiction jurisdiction of what we believe is right then sorry all bets are off like that i can't comprehend that so yeah. I, can, I can imagine at that point that you that yeah just feeling completely trapped did you ever think, oh, I'll, maybe I should go back to him or that just wasn't an option? No, I did. And I did go back after afterwards. I did go back. I went back for three years. Oh, wow. After the yeah. after trying to take your own life? Yeah. Okay, so what? So, so I, got to the, I, got, I got to that point of, of um, I couldn't see any way up and attempted to take my own life and then ended up in ICU. It was quite a serious attempt. Um, and then obviously then um, mental health team got involved. And so I then went down to Christchurch and spent three months down there with my mum. I still wasn't allowed to see the children and I had to get, Daniel said I had to get a, um, psych report to say that I was okay so I got I did go and see I had the I had a mental health team anyway that was involved just you know I was never medicated I never um I went and saw the psychiatrist psychiatrist well psychologist sorry he said um you're the most un like un like you're the most normal person that I've ever had in my office Wow. And his report said that it was that 
It was a, um, I don't know exactly what the name of it is, but basically it was a, um, what I was experiencing was a reaction to the breakdown of the marriage. So it was um, not depression, not, you know, nothing like that. It was just not knowing how to deal with yeah, not knowing how to deal with what was happening. But, yeah, so he said, you're the most normal person I've ever had in my office. He, he didn't have any concerns. Um, obviously, I was able to articulate how I was feeling and um, why I was feeling the way I was. And he was really good, actually. He was really good. And I, I talked to him about, you know, becoming a nurse. and Because prior to all, actually, prior to all of that, which I forgot to mention, um. I had applied to become to I had enrolled in nursing in Nelson, and I, but I hadn't heard back from them whether I'd been accepted. Um, so I had started that. Um, this was after we separated, so we separated and I applied, and then he he um, took away the the ability for me to see the kids, um, and so it just kind of spiraled out um, at that time. And then while I was in Christchurch, I got the letter of acceptance. It was just after, it was in January, I think it was. And so then, I think then things started to change for me because then all of a sudden I started to feel like I had purpose. Mm. And I started, I started to think, okay, how can I make this work? So I went from feeling quite hopeless and helpless to okay I can I might be able to do something with my life and, I'm, and I'll be able to support myself and my kids and I can fight this wow um, so many different questions but this this is one I sort of drawn to the most is like do you have recollection of that night of making that decision and has there been have you been able to reconcile that since then like do you, do you think how could I have got to that point or is it like like yeah just just that whole process uh, for the purpose of helping other people that maybe have been to that point and and haven't made that decision like what what yeah what sort of thought processes and processing since then um I definitely remember. I definitely remember how I felt. So I think one of the biggest things was ruminating. So I just like, I couldn't stop. And this is when it comes back to anxiety as well. Like my brain has always been very active and I couldn't stop thinking about certain things and it would just, and it would just go on and on. But I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't see a way out. And obviously, when you start thinking, especially if you start thinking negatively about things, you know, like, and it, it could be as simple as I'm never going to be able to see my kids again, or I'm never going to be able to, what I'm, you know, like I'm never going to be able to do anything with my life, or, or I have no control over, you know, where things are, have hit it, like where they've hit it, or you know, like, and you start questioning, you know, what have I done? This, like, how is this? How is this good or helpful? Um, I don't know how to get out of this. Things like that. Um, 
yeah, this is, I've heard and read a lot about this is that that sense that it's permanent. Yeah. Um, but also, like, at this point, are you blaming yourself? Like, are you yeah. signing, so, oh, it must be my fault for all of this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I have no, I have not a lot of insight as to why I feel like that. I just know that that's how I'm feeling at the time. And, yeah. I, and I can't see how I can change it. Like at the time, it's the it's the hopelessness. I think at the at the time, and being unable to see a way forward, other than I'm constantly going to feel like this. Mm, uh, it's just a cultural thing that we assign blame, and uh, from my own experience, uh, that. You know, good and evil and all those different things they talk about in church it's like well let's we give it a name right it's the devil's fault it's blame here blame there they grow up in a culture where you know, it's got to be someone's fault well that was your fault that no, wasn't my fault so then when we go through these dark moments we assume it must be our own fault because this is what had drummed into us for so long that we believe it yeah so how have you been able to make sense of that now of of realizing that it wasn't your fault and that lots of different circumstances from your past are not your fault to the point where you're even able to talk about it in such a courageous fashion in this setting as well. Um, I think well, there, there's been probably a number of, of things that have helped me um, really, I guess, get into that. Um, so I did commence counselling again, um, which helped, which helped significantly for me. Um, but also, I think just finding hope um, for the future. So, so like I like I said, like receiving that letter to say that I got into nursing, that definitely that definitely gave me hope. And I knew at the time, like my, my mum at the time was like, oh, no, it's too much. You're not going to be able to do it. I don't think you should do it. But at, at, I'm, I used to say, I know thyself. <laughs> like I'm, I know that I needed something to, um, to drive that was mine and something that I knew that I could, you know, like potentially have a life doing. Um, Is it the first time that you're able to think like that in your whole life? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that so. must have been almost, well, maybe it might have been too soon, but like almost euphoric or relief sort of feeling. Just gave me a sense of um, fight, I guess. I don't know. Kind of hard mm. to explain. It gave me a sense of something. You know, that wasn't hopelessness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she also, no, I know. <laughs> and also, like, it opened up a whole lot of other things. Like, uh, it opened up a whole lot of friendships. It opened up a whole lot of, I mean, obviously, this is going on in the journey, but it opened yeah. up a whole lot of possibilities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, and, 
I think the hardest decision for me was at that time was um, going back to Nelson. Um, was that a decision to be close to your children? Yeah. 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 Um, and it, it, I had very limited choice about how to, to proceed with that because, like I said, I had no support up there. Hmm. Um, and I think my mum just wanted me to stay down in Christchurch, but, you know, I couldn't. Um, so it was scary. It was a scary time. Like, I remember it feeling quite overwhelmed and fearful and uh more isolation i i imagine too that you've described a few times yeah absolutely yeah um it wasn't at that, at that point in time i hadn't decided i hadn't gone back hadn't thought about going back to daniel um so yeah i just i ended up going back i stayed i got a um similar scenario I stayed at a, um, someone's house that had a spare room um, and then just saw the kids when Daniel allowed me to see them um, for the first six months anyway of my nursing degree. Um, and the, I don't know how I paid for it, I can't remember now. I don't think I was working. So I must, I must have just paid, paid for the room out of my living allowance. You mentioned uh, that you said I oh, like you developed a fight and you had a big smile on your face. Is like that's actually a, a key part of your story. I imagine it's like you, you're a fighter. So does that mean like you've got a determination, or or is that a, a uh, more of a sarcastic laugh of something that maybe shows up that shouldn't at different times? I think I've got a determination. But I don't think I, I'm not sure that I knew that I had that determination until, until I went through that, um, until I went through all of that. Yeah, I think that determination came out in me um, through having to do things that were really difficult. Um, and I think also it came out of me when, as I started to believe in myself. So when I started to actually do things that people said that I couldn't do, like nursing yeah. and stuff, like, and I, and I did it well. Yeah, it started to change. I started to be able to, you know, like, actually I can do this. Hmm. I'm, not, I'm not that silly. You know, yeah. I am actually quite smart. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the, what you've described is a like fairly traumatic story so how did you start to heal well i went back to nelson and then i think about eight months into my first year of um, my nursing degree i i was finding it so difficult not being able to have the kids at night you know not hmm. like going from their full like the full-time role of carer for my children to only having access after school sometimes or when you know when we would allow it um was very challenging and so i made the decision that i'd go back um and 
when I say that I made the decision that I'd go back, I didn't make the decision that I'd go back just for like, just because, you know, like I did a lot of thinking about it and I thought, well, maybe we can, maybe things will change now. And we're, like I talked about this with him as well. And he's like, yeah, you know, like I'm open to changing some things. And, you know, some things, some things did change to begin to begin with, but obviously old habits and old patterns, they always, well, they started to creep back in. So I went back and, um, and then it wasn't that long really when I thought, when I started thinking, oh, this isn't, this isn't going to work. This is not going to be long term. And for that, that was probably the, the next um, challenging time because then I was kind of in a place where I just felt like I, I felt like I spent about four years in a place of survival after that first initial, you know, like um, separation and <laughs> that first initial, ooh, I then it took about four years, I think, of just surviving. And it really did feel like just surviving. Um, I did a lot in the four years. Like I did my nursing degree. I did a bodybuilding competition while I was doing my nursing degree. Um, and I did, I worked. So I'd go to school all day and then go to work at night. And at the same time, I did bodybuilding. Um, and then, but it was like a way of coping. Yeah. And, you know, like a, like a, I, like I said at the beginning, I'm definitely not so good at sitting, sitting, sitting down, and and um, I'm a doer, and so to be busy and keep my mind busy was probably the only way that I felt like I could survive through that time. Um, and then, of course, in that last year that I was with Dan, his his mum got cancer. <laughs> um, and they they lived on the same property as us, so they're very involved in our lives. Um, I had a, I, you know, she was she was I'd lived there for fifteen years, so she'd spent I'd spent half my life with his parents as almost as my parents. Wow. Um, and the funny thing is, the first time I did leave when Dan went and told them, they did say to him, oh, we did think you were being a bit controlling, but you know we didn't want to say anything. Whoa. So that was a bit of an eye opener, I think, for him as well. So that kind of opened that door for that three years, you know, because then all of a sudden he was like, mm, "Okay, so it wasn't. I'm, I am quite. I, maybe I am quite quite controlling." Um, I don't know. I can't speak for them during that time, but I know for myself. Um, they were like parents. I really struggled. Um, when you leave someone and you, you're also leaving, you know, that like I was leaving the family as such. And I, man, I struggled with that. Like it was almost as bad as leaving Dan because yeah. I loved them. So, so there's a whole lot of like stuff that's, you know, tied up and intertwined into mm -hmm. those decisions that you make. Um, yeah. But yeah, like she got cancer, and so I would often take her up to ED and stay with her in ED for the night because David would be in Wellington and um, Dan had work. 
So there was a lot of time in there spent just being able to give because it felt to me like I'd, you know, like leaving Dan had also created a lot of hurt. So in a way it was a bit of time for me to be able to kind of give back a little bit and be like, well, yeah. I imagine they had provided a lot of stability in your life and that perhaps hadn't been there from what you've described. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can imagine that would have been, as you said, it's just another layer on top that, that creates her within you. So, so then you make that decision to get out. What, what was the path you then went on to? Because for, for someone to be able to come on and talk so openly about the things you have talked about, then there must have been a fair bit of work you've done since all of this. So what was the journey then? Like, was that one of those moments of synchronicity that something just uh, unfolded or was it a very deliberate act to, to then, well, I need to, I need to work on some stuff. I need to have more uh, support around this. Yeah. So it was definitely um, the latter, but probably more of a deliberate act. So I'd done my nursing and I'd learned a lot about um, family violence and mental health. I actually did my postgrad year in mental health. Um, so I'd learned a lot um, just in that area, um, just through nursing. And then um, once I left the relationship, once I actually left, um, I started counselling again. And like, I, f I feel as though something, something must have shifted, I think, between when I left the second time and then um, having the ability to, well, maybe it's the knowledge I had it, like I must have had a, a gap in my knowledge prior to nursing that I was able to draw from um, the second time round. So I was able to um, understand and have more insight, I guess. And in turn, that gave me more um, ability to uh, change my perception of things, if that makes sense. It does. Um, now, either there was more to it than that, or you've got uh, more strength and fight, like you described, than the average person um, because what you're talking about then, generally if I'm talking to someone through these different stories, they've got one of these elements. Maybe it was a suicide. Maybe it was some sort of abuse. Maybe it was a marriage breakdown. Maybe, but we're talking about like, you know, like this, this full amount that – so two things come to mind is like – was there other steps you went through? And then I'm, I'm really curious to know how you're helping other people who have gone through this. Cause I imagine if you've been through this journey that then you've built up a lot of skills, tools, strategies to be able to help people through the other side of this as well. Well, I feel like I probably am only just um, starting to touch on that in my life. Like I'm only just now starting having people reach out and say, Hey, and a lot of people probably don't know the full extent of my story, you know, like, uh, and I think um, 
I think for me personally, I think I always had, I feel like I led quite a lonely life up until, you know, just a couple of years ago. Like I feel like I hid myself away quite a lot. I feel like I um, definitely was not trusting of of people. Hmm. Um, I feel like I f- I feel like I almost had to prove to myself that I could overcome some stuff and do some good in order to be able to then. Um, I don't know, like feel good about myself or to be able to um, believe in myself or even trust myself perhaps. Um, Mm. And I think too, like I couldn't, like when I was going through um, that initial separation with, with, um, with my husband, I couldn't talk. And I, got, I don't know if anyone would will relate to this at all, or I don't know if anyone's ever experienced this, but I would just cry. Like, I couldn't talk. And so, like, when the professionals, so, like, the mental health teams or whatever, would come to talk to me, I couldn't talk. My brother came and um, sat in, because I had to go, and, go into a meeting. He sat in on the meeting and then took me to Christchurch. And I just cried the whole time. And I couldn't talk, and I but I felt really judged at the time by the by the psychiatrist or psychologist as well because they're like you just you know you just need to stop all this or whatever, and I'm like I can't I, I had so much emotion and and whatever was going on inside that I literally just could not form words. I just cried. What I know of healing is that. That, that's so important to have those tears and, and it's also sometimes when you can't make sense of things yourself and process things yourself, just having a safe place for you to be able to let all those emotions out is just so beneficial in itself and like just how you've described things and, and how you've, the strength that you've built up, I imagine that's a space that you're able to create for other people too. Yeah, I hope so. Like I think, I think back. Like I think about it, and I there's definitely an ele- there's definitely a, an element of personal um, determination, or you know, like that that you have to that you have to carry, um, and 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 also probably an amount a certain amount of um, ownership. But in saying that, I don't I don't think that. Um, just because something has been our way doesn't mean it has to continue to be that way. Um, and I think that you can, like you can tap into, I don't know what it is, it, whether it's something that we're, we're born with or something that is there, but we just don't, we just don't really pay much attention, but you can tap into that, that um, will to live. And I think when you go through something like that, I don't like. I I can't tell you the. I can't articulate the switch. Like I couldn't say that it was this moment. It happened. It happened over time, but there, there was a definite switch between I feel hopeless and I can't see a way out, 
and actually, you know what, I'm going to do my best to do their best. And, if, you know, like there was many things I could say, like even my children, for example, like what would I tell, what would they be told and what would I tell them in um, mm. the end? So there was many drivers of that. Um, but also in saying that too, like my identity up until that time had been in Dan in Daniel being you know a wife and a mum and having to find myself was a struggle but once you have that um, I think it definitely shifts some stuff in you like once you can take ownership over your life and once you have some you know you can um, you can then start to move forward in a, in a more positive way oh, I love that I agree 100% with that. Now, as someone that you said, you're always someone that questioned what life was about through all these different moments and trials and traumas. Like, what have you learned that life is about? Um, well, for me personally, um, obviously I've been a nurse. I worked in, in ED, um, so I was in the for a while I spent, you know, like time probably in the most confronting place that you can be in um, as a medical professional. Um, but for me personally, I think now I, obviously my kids are a big part of my picture, um, but also just I learned during that time to take it a day at a time and I think being able to gain that skill of a day at a time has helped me to prepare myself more for what each day might throw at me and it becomes more and more uh, it's given me more ability to actually step back and say okay what what how can I be a positive like how can I be a positive positive influence in this situation or how can I you know like how can I support this person or how can I be the best um, advocate for my husband and my kids and you know today um, so it definitely has helped me with skills like that and being more present I guess in the moment um, I don't I don't feel like I'm running all the time, like that's an analogy, but I feel like I'm much more apt now to actually be able to sit and, and think about the bigger things. Um, I don't think I really had the ability to do that because I don't think I really had, um, I don't think I really had a picture of what the possibilities were. Or, yeah. yeah. And I like you, you describe that moment where you don't see any way out. Like when, when you're thinking is it's like almost survival mode, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a space that you're going to necessarily create thoughts about what next, but um, I love what you talked about there coming back to present. How often, in day-to-day -day life do we get too caught up in what's been what's coming and and 
we lose sight of today. And, uh, and I guess, and I guess like the thing is you, and this has been something that, that I, I've probably carried with me, is that you're never, like we don't know when our life is going, when or when the, the light of our life is going to be, you know, put out. Um, so if that was tonight, tomorrow, in an hour, you know, would I be happy with what I've done? And I s- suppose that question now is more at the forefront of, of like, it's more purposeful. My life is more purpose- purposeful because I'm living um, by that, if that makes sense. I know what I want. I, want to, I know that I want to be um, a positive influence to people around me. I know that I want to um, love people. I know that, you know, I want to be able to give where I can give and support where I can support and be kind um so even through you know the whole divorce process and um at the moment i'm going through custody because my kids are still in new zealand um and i'm trying to get them to australia um but just reminding myself that i don't need doesn't matter how bad it gets i don't need to be i don't need to sink sink to anything lower than what I want for myself, which is to act with kindness, um, you know, and and be proud of the way that my life or that I've been. What a great uh, way of summing up life. Don't need to lower yourself. Oh, that's powerful. Thanks, Holly, for sharing that. Now, you said you you kind of at that early stage of helping people, but if someone's listening to this story and they're like, "Oh, this is the sort of thing I need help with," where can they find you, Holly? Um, like, is in oh. my email address? <laughs> yeah, like, or, or we I mean we can just put the details in the show notes if it's easier. Um, yeah, it's just um, well, I'm working. It's Holly Holly H O L L I E. Oh, we can just go to Invita. Yep, I'll put the uh, the same link as uh, Ian's in the notes, and people can find you yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, cool. And I will always reply. I'll always reply. I'm not cool. someone that doesn't reply, so I'm on Facebook too. So cool. People yeah. can stalk you. I mean, find you there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Holly, again, I tremendous courage to be able to share this story so openly and and give so much wisdom and, and gold and hope I imagine for many people who have been through similar stuff and um, yeah, I really honour you and, and appreciate you sharing. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.